Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Good morning. Welcome to Blue Ridge Church. Thank you all so much for being here today. Whether you're here in person, watching online, we truly are just glad that you're here. If it's your first time, relax. We're not going to do anything crazy. We just want you to to enjoy and uh, we're not going to ask you to stand up and introduce yourself. We honestly are truly glad you're here with us today. You know, I don't know if you've been tracking with us the last couple weeks, but uh, we're in this series called Everyday People. And what we're talking about is how God uses ordinary people like me and you to accomplish his purposes. All right. And, and basically what we've been talking about is, is the reality that we look at the Bible, we can read these stories, we can come to church and, and hear about these amazing people who did all this stuff for God. And we think, you know, they must have just been amazing. They must have just been some incredible people in life and God chose to use them because of how great they were. And, uh, and the reality is they were just normal people. Every one of the disciples we've talked to, we've talked about David and, and how they're just average people in life that God presents with circumstances in life to, to help them grow their faith and become the people that we read about, you know, thousands of years later in the scriptures. And one of the things we've been learning, and I think we'll continue to learn throughout this series, is that God often uses ordinary circumstances in ordinary people's lives to bring about extraordinary faith, right? So what he'll do is he'll use situations that we're, we can relate to even, you know, today, uh, feelings of, you know, oh, being overwhelmed, right? Everyone deals with being overwhelmed, and, and we've got disappointment. There's times where life gets really difficult, where there's uh, grief or there's sadness or there's confusion in our lives where it just causes some, uh, you know, us to be overwhelmed. But, but God will use those moments in order to bring us closer to him and to his plan for our lives. A lot of times, kind of similar, similarly we'll see in these stories is there seems like there's a lot of things that are unfair, right? Well, something will happen to someone, you know, we, with King David, right? Some things that happen in his life where there's just unfair, it shouldn't have happened the way it did, but it did that. And God used those situations to bring him closer to his plan for his life. And I think we'll see that in our lives as well, as God gives us opportunities in those overwhelming circumstances and in those unfair situations to take a step of faith towards who he's created us to be and where he wants us to be in life. And so we're going to jump right into it. Learning number one, if you want to scan that QR code or your, you have the Church Center app, the QR code's right in front of you. It's on the screens as well. Uh, but you can go ahead and, and follow along with today's notes because here's learning number one. We are most impacted by God when life is most impactful for us. I don't know why it is that way, but it seems to be that when life is hardest, when life is difficult, it seems like God has our attention, doesn't it? When we go through valleys in life, it seems like God gets a front row to our lives and we're more willing to listen and to be open to what he might have for us. And we see this over and over in the Bible, like these different stories of these men and women who trust God and follow God, people who we see as heroes, they've had those exact same things happen in life. And the story we're going to read this morning is this guy named Job. And if you've been in church, you know the story of Job. Uh, it can be kind of depressing, it can be confusing, it can be overwhelming at times, it can seem unfair at times, but, but the reason why we see Job as this hero of faith is because of how he responds to what happens to him. Here's how the story starts out. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, this is the description that God gives of this guy, that he was blameless, 
a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, right? This guy was busy. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Okay, so he's got a zoo, right? He's just got all this land, all this stuff. Uh, And back in this culture, that's how you were wealthy, right? It's not just because you had cash. It was because you had land. And you had the ability to work that land. And you had the people to work that land. And so that made you wealthy. The Bible says he was the wealthiest person in the entire area. And it says he's such a great guy, right? He's a a man of faith. He's He's got integrity, right? He's a great husband. He's a present father, Right? He takes care of the people who work for him. I mean, he's just a good guy. He probably drives a Prius, drinks from a paper straw. I mean, like this guy is the total package, okay? <clears throat> but then it takes the weirdest turn out of any story that I think in the entire Bible. Okay, so it talks about how Job is this amazing, faithful guy. And then the next scene that we have is this conversation going on between God and the devil. And it starts off by saying the devil is just roaming around the earth looking at the different things and different people and situations going on. You get this picture that it's, you know, he's looking at the evil or the wickedness or the things that are going on that are bad and sinful and he's just relishing in that and it's like, ah, you know, this is exactly what I want to happen type of thing. But then he starts this dialogue with God, which sounds a little weird, but God says to Satan, he goes, hey, have you seen my servant Job? Right, so Satan's looking around at all this evil and destruction and probably loving it. And, and God says, have you seen this guy though? This guy, Job, he is incredible. He is godly. He worships me, sacrifices to me, loves me. He is the total package. And so Satan looks at, at God and is like, of course he does. Of course he loves you. You've given him everything. Here's what Satan says in, in verse 9. He says, yes, but Job has a good reason to fear God. You've always put up a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, so the devil's like, listen, who wouldn't praise you in that circumstance? You've protected him his whole life. You've made him wealthy. You've made him happy. You've given him joy. I mean, who wouldn't worship you? Who wouldn't serve you? And so he makes a deal with God in a way makes a bet and he says, listen, how about this? How about you give me the ability to take away everything in his life that is good? And if he still worships you, you win. But if I take everything away from him that he loves and he turns his back on you and curses you like I bet he will, then I win. And so God makes this deal with him and and so makes this, he says, all right, let's do it. Let's game on. And so what we see next happen in the story is Job's living his life and the first, one of the servants come along and, and they bring news to him that uh, something bad has happened. The first messenger says that raiders have come and stolen a lot of his animals and killed his servants, a lot of his servants. As this first messenger is still telling him the news, a second messenger comes and says, fire fell from heaven and killed all of your sheep and your shepherds. As the second messenger is still talking, a third one comes and says this, more raiders came from the other side of the town and took your camels and killed your servants. And then the fourth one, which was the dagger, said your kids, all 10 of them, were eating dinner together, having a good time. And out of nowhere, a tornado came and crushed everything in its path, flattened the house that they were in and killed all of them. 
And so in moments, what seems to be, Job is taken from this mountaintop, blessing upon blessing, life is great, God is good, to the depths of the most despair he's probably ever realized or ever had in his entire existence. And he's broken. Every, as, as any of us would be, everything that he's loved was taken from him. We read later in the Bible that he eventually would be covered in boils and in sores that made it nearly impossible for him to even move or sit or sleep or lay down without being in excruciating pain. But I want you to read and see Job's response to this because it's crazy. In verse 20, it says this, Job stood up, this is after everything just happened, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. I mean, can you imagine this? I I mean, I can't, I don't want to, but I'm pretty sure there's one thing I probably wouldn't be doing is bowing down after all this happened and praising and worshiping God and saying what Job said. I mean, he, was, he had to be broke. He had to be in despair. And then he worships God. How crazy is that? Has everything taken away from him, but he still worships God? And, and listen, I mean, it's got to be hard for everyone, but it seems like his wife took it the hardest. Especially this kind of happens after he bows down and worships God and praises God after all this happened. His wife sees this and she just kind of loses it. And here's what she says in verse 9. It says, his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Like, yikes. Like, she's just like, God could have prevented this and he didn't. Why are you worshiping him? He probably doesn't even care about you. Just curse God. And then she tells him to die. Just die. Like, what a wife, right? Like, she must have been a piece of work. I mean, that's got to (laughs) be... I mean, some people have hard home life. I mean, I bet you Job had a lot to deal with at home. I mean, think about it. Like, the devil took everything from Job, killed his kids, took his cattle, took his land, destroyed all of his, you know, every, all of his wealth was gone, covered him in boils and sores. But his wife did not die. (laughs) Okay, that's saying something right there. I think that's part of the story. I mean, you got to imagine this whole thing happening and God up there being like, Satan, that... There's, there's his wife right there. You, you can do whatever you want. And, and Satan's like, <laughs> she lives. <laughs> like, I know what I'm doing. She lives. <laughs> but I mean, she's broken. In, in any, you know, it's funny, but any of us would be just in that same boat. And that's the last we ever hear of his wife. There's hardly a reference to her for the rest of the book, the rest of the story. And, and a lot of people think she just probably picked up and took off and never came back. And then what we see is Job kind of accuses her and and corrects her. And what he says to her is, listen, you can't just worship God when life is good. You can't just worship God when we're being blessed. We've got to take the total package. And when life gets hard and difficult, we've got to love him the same. We've got to worship God when life gets hard and things get taken away from us that we might not like because that's who he is. He's the God over everything. He's the God at all times. And so learning number two, this is something big that Job learns, and I think this is something really important for us, is my commitment to God cannot be tied to my life's circumstances. 
Easier said than done. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's really hard to love God the same when things go really hard. Like when, when life is going good, I mean, isn't God just so awesome? Like the blessings are flowing in and it's like, wow, he's the God of love, the God of joy, the God of grace, the God of forgiveness. It's, it's amazing. When things start going poorly, doesn't he turn into the God of confusion for us? The God of judgment, it can feel like. The God of maybe being absent, like we even wonder, is he even there? Now, does this mean we've got to be heroes and superheroes where we just pretend like difficult situations don't affect us? Absolutely not. Does this mean we need to pretend that grief isn't hard and those things that go on in life don't really hurt? No, that's not what this is saying, but, it, but it's saying that we need to learn and practice to love God and worship him regardless of the circumstances. See, the story Job is, I mean, this is a really bad situation. I mean, this is really, really hard. And it even says that Job's friends hear about it from a distance and they go to visit him and try to help him through it. And, and it says his friends show up and they get there and it's so bad, the grief is so heavy that they don't even speak for a week, not a single word. And so his friends are there and they don't know what to say. None of us know what to say in kind of situation. I mean, what do you say in a situation like that, right? And so after about a week, the Bible says Job finally responds and he finally talks. And here's what Job says after having a week to just think through and, and process what's going on. And in chapter three, it's, he says this, let the day of my birth be erased. In the night I was conceived, let that day be turned to darkness. Let that night be blotted off the calendar. I mean, have you ever gotten to this spot in life? I know some of you have where life gets so hard where you're just like, I just wish I never even was born. I wish the day that I was born just was gone. I just wish I was erased. I wish I was gone from this place. And, and he started processing this grief. It's getting hard for him. It's getting difficult. for It's set in that that's his new reality. And he's like, I just wish I wasn't here. Chapter after chapter, you see him pour out his heart of, of saying things like, I just want to be done. The depression, the sadness, the confusion, the anger, the bitterness. I'm sure he's processing all of this emotion. And, and so he's confused, again, as any of us would be. But then his friends who are with him, they they feel like they need to start helping a little bit. And I don't know if this is just a Christian thing. If you've been in the church, you might know this. But, but as like friends, isn't it sometimes we feel like it's our responsibility to help people connect the dots when they're experiencing grief? Like when they're going through something really difficult, it's our job to try to explain why that's happening. Oh, this is happening because God does this or God did that or you did this or you did that or, or this is why it's all happening. Maybe it just is a coping mechanism. I don't know. But as friends who are debatably idiots, <laughs> they start giving him advice in, in giving him reasons to why all of this has happened in his life. And here's what the first one says in chapter four. His first friend says, my experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. In other words, he's telling Job, you brought this on yourself. You must have done something that caused these situations to happen in your life. You reap what you sow. There has to be something that you've done in your life or maybe you didn't do in your life that caused this hardship, this heartache to where you've lost everything. You should have built a stronger house. Maybe your kids would still be alive. You should have had better protection around your farms. Maybe those raiders wouldn't have been able to take your stuff. 
Like, like, so this guy starts unloading on Job saying, this is because of you, something you've done. So you've got to figure that out. This, like, this wasn't God. This wasn't some, you know, different situation. You brought this on yourself. I mean, good friend, right? <laughs> I promise you it gets worse. <laughs> Here's what his next friend says in chapter 11. This one's terrible. He said, if only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sin and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. Like This is the Christianese version of what we do sometimes where we try to, again, explain why things happen. And what this guy is saying to Job is, you must have sinned. You must have disobeyed God. And as a, as a consequence to your sin, God took away everything you love. This is your penalty. All right, do you ever meet someone like that or talk with someone? Maybe you're going through something and ever have someone tell you that? Like you've got to search your heart for some maybe unspoken or undealt with sin or else it's going to keep ripping through your life and destroy you, everything else you love. I mean, it's the worst advice we could give. You know, again, sometimes we, we say the weirdest things. Like that video, I know it's kind of funny, but we say the weirdest things to people. You know, when you're going through hardships, you've ever had someone come up to you and be like, God's got a plan though. Right? Like you could have had your life taken, like everything you love taken away from you and God's got a plan. Or maybe you hear this one, like, God will never give you more than you can handle, which is coincidentally not in the Bible. <laughs> or this one's my favorite. I hate when people say this. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. <laughs> right? Can you imagine that, Job, right? Everything you love taken away from you, your kids killed, everything of value being taken from you, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. That's basically what his friends are saying to him. And so, I mean, he's just trying to be like, what is going on here? Like, what happened? Like, what, did I do something bad? Do I do something wrong? And so he's confused. He's trying to process all of this in his mind. And so he's left confused. He's sad, frustrated. And, and so what he starts doing is he starts kind of interrogating God. And he starts questioning God. Here's the kinds of things he starts saying in chapter nine. He says, why is life given to those with no future? Those God has surrounded with difficulties. In other words, he's starting to be like, I mean, why does God even create people if he's just going to take these things away? And he starts asking God, like, why would you do what? If you, blessings are great. That was awesome. I got to live and have, be happy and have joy and, and be rich and have a family. But if you're going to take it away, why even create me in the first place? Like, what are you doing up there? Like, is it just chaos? And many of us probably wonder the same things. I know I've gone through seasons of life where I ask the same questions. But he starts interrogating God and questioning God, and he's, he starts taking this kind of a nasty turn in his life because, you know, he's dealing with a lot of grief, and he just doesn't know what's going on. And so to fully understand how this plays out, I want to kind of take this out of order, and I want to look at how God responds to Job out of this questioning and interrogating first, and then I want to circle back and look at some of the things that Job learned through this and what he realized through this that, that made him the kind of person we look at today and say that guy had incredible faith. Because it wasn't that he was rich and he, you know, even that he worshiped God in the beginning, that he had all these great things. It was just because he was a great dad or a great husband. Uh, it wasn't because all this bad stuff happened either. It's the way he responded through it all that made him someone who we look at today and say, that guy had extraordinary faith. So here's how God responds to it all. And he kind of throws this back at Job in, verse, in chapter 38. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying lines? 
What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? What God is saying basically to Job is it's really easy to be a critic of God when you're not God. When you're confused and you don't know what's going on, you don't know how to understand and process and deal with and make sense of everything that's happened in your life, it's easy to question God and be a critic of him. And so God's like, you you think you can do it better? Go for it. You think you can do a better job than me? Have at it. Oh, but by the way, where were you when I created the foundations of the world? Oh, that's right. You weren't born yet. Oh, wait, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Oh, you, weren't, you didn't even exist yet, right? And he's like, Job, real quick, how, how far is the expanse of the universe? Can you give me some dimensions? You have no idea, do you? So he kind of plays with them here, and, he's, and what he's doing is he's bringing Job back to reality. And he's helping Job make sense of what's going on in his life, but he's also reassuring him that God is in control of everything, and everything goes through the hands of God before it plays out in life. Does that mean we can understand everything of why it happens and why it happens the way it does? Absolutely not. But just because it's a mystery to us doesn't mean it's a mystery to God. And so what Job learns through this, he comes to a couple big realizations that help him process this. Doesn't make it easier, but helps him process this and grow into a man of extraordinary faith. The first big thing that Job learned, and it's learning number three, is that his life got more real. Here's what learning number three is. Grief and hardship cause us to reflect on our own humanity. Do you ever have something happen in your life where it just brought you to your knees? I mean, like something bad? Like where you're just on this mountaintop in life and it feels like God just clotheslines you and you just experience some pain or difficult situation or maybe it's just an issue you've got in your life. Or do you remember when you were younger, when you thought you were invincible? Or did you ever grow up thinking like nothing, you didn't even think about death, right? I remember as a kid, I never even thought about this at all until I was in sixth grade and one of my classmates unexpectedly died. And it was the first time in my life that I thought, oh, I'm not going to be here forever. Oh, like, uh, all I get is maybe if I'm lucky, what, 80-something years? And then, then, then what's next? You know, one of the things I love about this church so much is that we, we accept anyone here with, regardless of your past, right? You, if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard that before. It doesn't matter what you've done. You know, it doesn't matter if you've, you know, gone through the depths of, you know, whatever in life, but, but we want to focus more on what's next, right? We want to focus on you taking your next steps in life. It doesn't mean we don't have a history or a story, but it just means we're going to try to do our best to leave that behind and move forward to what God has for us in front. But many of us have stories that brought us to these places in life. And actually, the reason I became a Christian in the first place was because of this learning. It caused me to reflect. Something happened in my life that caused me to reflect on my own humanity, my own mortality. In college, uh, I was not the brightest kid. (laughs) And I made a living selling drugs. That's just kind of what I did, me and my friends, we, you know, we were really good at it. And listen, I know this was, there's police in this room. Okay, this was BC days. There's nothing to worry about. I got nothing on me right now. Uh, but, but that's just what, who I was. Okay, that's what we did. And we were good at it. We made a lot of money doing it. We 
had fun doing it, and we lived like kings for a while doing it. Until one day, everything changed, and our lives got flipped upside down. We were this big deal in our house, in our college house, and there was a lot of money involved. And in the middle of this, it went sideways, and we had people pull guns out on us. And two of my best friends had guns jammed down their throats, and they brought them to our basement in our house and said they were going to execute them. And, uh, and then they took everything. They took everything we had, all the drugs, the money, the electronics, everything, left us with nothing. By the grace of God, we all lived through it, but it brought us to our own reality. It brought us to our knees, and for the first real time in life, we were faced with the fact that we're not here forever. You know, sometimes I'll have conversations with people, and, and they'll, you know, they won't say this exactly, but they'll kind of infer, like, oh, you work for a church. Oh, like, you're serious about your faith. Like, you're kind of that weirdo guy who loves God as an adult. And, and, and I say this to people all the time. I say, listen, we as a culture, we do a great job of trying to distract ourselves from the fact that we're going to die one day. You know, we've got distractions. We've got technology. We've got entertainment. We've got anything that we can to get our minds off of the fact that our lives will at one point end. But when you stand face to face with what feels like the end, it changes you. It brings you back to earth. It brings you to a place where you realize you're not going to be here forever and so you better focus on what truly matters because you have no idea when your time is up. And so what we did is we started this journey together and we were like, what, what happens when you die? <laughs> and we had no intention on finding God or going to church or, you know, whatever that all meant at the time for us. We just wanted to know. We didn't, we didn't even have a plan to give up doing drugs and selling drugs. We just wanted to find out what's going to happen when we die because this could happen at any moment for us. Now, God had other plans and many of us became believers because of that situation but many of us here in this room were watching. You've had similar experiences in your life that have brought you to a place where you realize there's more to life than just this small window of time. And like Job in this story, he realizes that life could be over like that. You could have anything and everything taken away from you in an instant. And so it reminds him, it reminds us of our mortality. Here's what Job says when he realizes this in chapter 30. He says, my honor has blown away in the wind and my prosperity has vanished like a cloud. And now my life seeps away. Depression haunts my days. And then after God rebukes him, he says this in chapter 42, I take back everything I said and I sit in the dust and ashes to show my repentance. And so out of everything that happened with Job, what he starts to realize is that in the scope of eternity, this life is just a blip on the map. And yes, we will go through heartbreak, we will go through hardship, we will go through difficulties, but this is not the end of our stories. And so it puts into perspective and, and he starts to reflect on that and realizes that, that one day when he does leave this earth, God will restore everything. And so that's the first thing he observes. The second one, and it's learning number four, is it changes his view of God. 
Learning number four says this, overwhelming events force us to confront our view of God. You know, we talked about this earlier in the talk, but our view of God changes throughout the course of our lives, doesn't it? I mean, even the course of our days, it changes. I mean, depending on what's going on, maybe things are going good. Like I said, you know, when things are great, blessings are flowing. You know, God is good. God is great. When things are going hard, God is the God of confusion. What is he doing up there? Is he judging me? Is he mad at me? Like, what's going on? And, and so as we go throughout life, our view of God changes pretty often. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. You know, we, we, we need to see the full picture of who God is the best we can. And that happens in other areas of life. That happens, you know, if you're married, it happens in your relationship. If you've got a good career or any kind of career, you know that happens with your job. There's times where you love it, times you hate it. Uh, if you're a parent, you know, there's times with kids where you, you love your kids. And then there's times where you... You don't hate them, but you just kind of love them a little less, right? They, they make you crazy. Uh, even, you know, this past week, we were driving up to Buffalo, 10-hour car ride. Uh, we took our three kids, and a lot of people will hear us say that, and they're like, oh, that sounds terrible. You know, like, I could never do that. Why don't you guys fly? And we're like, for, on the way there, it was amazing. Like, they were great. Our two oldest, we gave them their little tablets. They watched Bluey the whole time. I mean, it was just fantastic. Uh, even their brains might, brains might be fried at this point, but I mean, we got there, right? Our five-month-old slept almost the whole way. It was a miracle. Like, it was just great. We got in the driveway to my parents' house in Buffalo, and I looked at my wife and was like, I could have a couple more of these. Like, if we want to keep making kids, I mean, we could, this is easy. This is great. And so we stayed there for a week, had a time of our lives. It was so fun. And then we left after a week and drove back down here to Christiansburg. And that trip was horrific, <laughs> okay? My five-month-old scream cried for the first three and a half, four hours. Okay, when he finally did go to sleep, my three-year-old would wake up shrieking, yelling, and then wake up the baby. And this became like a bounce, like ping pong back and forth for the entire trip. I mean, it was bad. It was so hard. It was such a bad trip. And so we pull back in our driveway at home and I look over my way at this time and I'm like, I'll go ahead and schedule the vasectomy. That's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm done. Like, we're good. Like, we can, we can end this right here if this is the reality. But doesn't our, our, our viewpoint change based on the circumstances we go through? Doesn't what we see, even when we talk about faith, that what we see of God change as we go throughout our lives? It doesn't mean that God changes because he doesn't. Our circumstances change that cause us to maybe see a different part of God or different part of who he is than we would have when we were, you know, kind of blinded by the blessings. Because that's what's going on with Job, isn't it? His life was perfect. Nothing to worry about. God had a hedge of protection around his life. He never had to worry about hardly anything. But as soon as that hedge came down, he saw a different side of God that he never knew before. And it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing because now he could see the perspective that God wanted him to have. And going back to that, worshiping God regardless of the circumstances in life, whether life is good and there's blessings or life is bad and it's not going so well. Here's what he says when he realizes that God is different than what he thought. He says this in chapter 36, look, God is all powerful. Who is a teacher like him? No one can tell him what to do or say to him, you've done wrong. Instead, glorify his mighty works, singing songs of praise. Look, God is greater than we can understand. And then in chapter 42, he says this, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. 
Job was brought down to reality, and then he was given a bigger picture, fuller picture of who God is. And did it make things easier for Job? No, probably not. Did it fix all of his brokenness? Absolutely not. But I think what God was trying to get a hold of him and saying is, listen, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what's happening, whether that's good, it's blessings, or it's bad, and it's things being taken away, I am God. I am in control. I am sovereign. And even though you don't understand everything, I think the lesson we learned from Job is that we don't have to. To love God the way that he wants us to love him, we don't have to. We just need to trust that he has our best intentions in mind and that he is who he says he is in life. I think when we look at this story, you know, you can kind of read it and then see how it ends. It kind of ends with redemption in the end where God restores his life back to him, really how he had it. And there's a lot of joy. But what we take from Job when we read from Job is he went from this ordinary guy experiencing similar things that many of us have gone through in our lives and presented Job with the opportunity to have an extraordinary faith, to trust God in a way that gave him an extraordinary faith and made him into an extraordinary person. We, even today, have those opportunities as well. And so I want to encourage you as we're going through life and we're going through this series even, and we're reading about these guys and these women who had this amazing, extraordinary faith, is to understand that it's, it's not because they were awesome that God selected and chose them to do things. It's because God presented them with the option to trust him, or like in the beginning we read, to turn their back on him, and they chose to trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just, you know, sometimes reading a story like this can bring up hurts. It could cause sadness and as we reflect on things that have happened to us or things that could happen, and, and it can be overwhelming. But God, help us to always choose you. Help us not to get distracted by the fact that life is changing all around us and, and they're telling us different things and, and people, maybe that's friends around us or other people in life telling us things about you that just aren't true or things about us that aren't true. Help us to focus on what truly matters. Help us to see you as clearly as we can. God, for those here who are going through a really hard time, God, give them the strength to see you. Give them the ability to trust that you have things in control even when it doesn't look like it or seem like it. Doesn't mean we need to understand it. Doesn't even mean that we need to comprehend it. We just need to trust you. God, help us to experience what, what Job experienced without having to go through the things that he went through. Help us learn how to take our next step in faith. Help us learn how to love you better and love you more. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for being here. You know, every week we say the same thing. We're just so glad you took your week or a day out of your week to, to join us at Blue Ridge. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you can go ahead and fill out the connection card uh, on, the connect, on the app or the QR code. If you need anything, please let us know. We're here to help. We're here to serve you. Uh, a lot going on at the church as well, so check that out on our social media. Uh, but if you want to worship through giving back, you can do that online. You can do that in the black boxes. But I really hope you come join us next week as we continue our series on everyday people. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.